the Indigenous Connection Show. My name is Randy Lynn and I'm the host for the Indigenous Connections radio show. Join me as we discuss various topics in regards to First Nations culture, arts, ideologies, and spirituality from both a historical and contemporary point of view. Randy, Nitsigasun, Mistasini, Nihia, Uchenia, Lakla Alberta, Egwa, Ni, Wigan. Hello everyone, welcome to the Indigenous Connections Radio Show with myself, Randy Lynn Nanamahu Candline. I am 33 years old from the Big Stone Cree Nation in Northern Alberta, Treaty 8 Territory. My educational background is in Indigenous social work and Indigenous mental health. My culture plays a huge role in how I identify and how I see the world. Uh, it's been a huge part of my upbringing and I'm very grateful to be able to share some of my culture with you on this radio broadcast. So it is in hopes with this show that we can move forward in the spirit of reconciliation. So what does reconciliation mean? Uh, It's a term that we often hear being utilized to describe the relationship between non-Indigenous and Indigenous people. Uh, The word reconciliation really was brought to light in 2007 with Prime Minister Harper first announcing a national apology to the residential school survivors and the legacy that's left upon us as a society. So, yes, we use the word reconciliation quite a lot, but a lot of people get confused between the words forgiveness and reconciliation. So let's look at the word forgiveness. By definition, it means that one party or one side of the disagreement is ready to move forward. They're ready to forgive the other party, regardless if they receive an apology or reconcile their relationship with that other party. It just means that person or that party is ready to move forward regardless of closure from the other side. But reconciliation, on the other hand, requires both or all parties involved to work together to take responsibility for the actions, the hurt they may have caused one another, and really start to work together in a positive way to reconcile their relationship, reconcile the past, in hopes to heal those scars, those traumas, that hurt that may have occurred, so that all people involved can move forward in a good way. And this is so important because it's not only important for our past relations, but to build a better future for our children tomorrow, our grandchildren the next day. So with this radio show, each week we will be discussing various topics in regards to First Nations, culture, arts, history, ideology, spirituality, from both a historical and contemporary point of view. It's by having open conversations such as this one, I'm hoping to create a dialogue with explanations to start breaking down stereotypes, breaking down misunderstandings. Again, building a bridge between indigenous and non-indigenous communities to help us understand one another. Um, I feel stereotypes and misunderstandings are often the result of misunderstandings, miseducation, lack of just general explanation. So it's my hopes that by explaining these things that we can start to reconcile our relationships and really start to understand and we can do this through education by having an open mind and open heart and a willingness to listen to one another so thank you for joining me we will continue on with our topic that we 
discussed last week and that is the powwow celebration we will do a quick review and continue forward so stay tuned sur la terre sacrée, on a marché pieds nus, on fait des 16, on a compté les lunes. On a su lire le ciel, en guise de boussole, à qui le respect, car l'homme n'est pas seul. On calculait le temps grâce au soleil, transmettait notre histoire de bouche à oreille. Mon pays n'a pas de drapeau, car on est tous les mêmes derrière nos couleurs de peau. Connectés à la voix du créateur, guidés par les oiseaux migrateurs. Aborigènes à mes ancêtres, j'ai obéi, lié à la terre, en parfaite harmonie. Porté par elle, je retournerai poussière. Une mère nourricière, porteuse de vie, des forêts en guise de pharmacie. Depuis toujours, on se nourrit de la terre, d'air, de la mer, des lacs et des rivières. Des millénaires sans besoin matériel Juste un chemin éclairé par le ciel Une poussière qui a fait naître l'âme Un souffle de vie porté par la femme Mon pays je le porte à l'intérieur de moi Et je n'oublie pas les peuples d'autrefois On n'hérite pas de la terre de nos parents On l'emprunte à nos enfants De toute façon cette terre n'est pas à nous On est à elle, on forme un tout Ici je suis qu'une âme passagère Je suis un enfant de la terre C'est chez toi, tout ce qui compte c'est de savoir où l'on va Un cycle de vie toujours en mouvement Des nomades transportés par le vent Au climat on a su s'adapter Dans les pires conditions la femme a dû l'enfanter À la famine on a survécu Malheureusement certains peuples ont disparu Nos erreurs ont servi d'apprentissage Autour d'un feu on écoutait les vieux sages Une sagesse connectée à l'esprit Leur voix était utile à la survie À mon pays je reste enraciné dans ma tête résonne la voix des aînés Un jour, j'irai rejoindre mon père Je suis un enfant de la terre Radio show with myself, Randy Lynn, and today's topic is the Powell celebration. So, we touched a bit on this last week, but due to time machines, we weren't able to cover it all. So, as promised, we will continue on our conversation. So, a quick review of what we discussed last week if you weren't able to listen or just need a quick reminder. Powwows are one of the most common and public displays of First Nations culture in today's modern society. They are a collection of various dance styles and songs. No matter your age, race, beliefs, genders, etc., everyone is welcome at the powwow. And I really, really want to 
emphasize that fact that anyone and everyone is welcome at the powwow. It is not closed off to any particular culture group. It's just a beautiful way of us sharing our culture with our our non-indigenous brothers and sisters. So if you'd like to go, for sure go. Uh, if you are new to a powwow, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, it can come off very high-paced and very loud, lots of colors, um, kind of a sensory overload at times. Um, so that's why I want to take this opportunity to break down what's happening at the powwow from start to finish. To explain the dance styles, the outfits, the songs, the historical and spiritual significance embedded within it all. Because at a powwow, they weren't, aren't just something we thought we'd do one day. We're like, oh, hey, that dance looks cool. Oh, hey, that outfit looks cool. I'm going to put it on. There are histories. There are stories attached to everything that we do. So that is why I want to break this down for you. So... Last week, we talked about why our powwow is important. Powwows aren't only a way of us sharing our culture with our brothers and sisters of different cultures, races, and backgrounds, but they're also important for indigenous people. They are great teaching tools for ourselves as well. We look at the residential school and how much that took away from our people. It took our culture, our language, our teachings, our spirituality. It took so much away from us. And many, many of us have had to fight to regain, to relearn that knowledge that was taken away from the residential school. We look at the mantra of the residential school, and it literally says, kill the Indian to save the child, meaning take away the culture, take away all that so that these children do not know who they are so that they can be molded into these perfect citizens, if you will, um, to conform them into Western world society. As we know today, that caused more damage than it created good. So powwows are act as a bridge to help those people who are still learning their culture to connect with it. So that's why I think powwows are very important. Uh, then with that, we talked about the grand entry. So grand entry is a practice borrowed by the roof rodeo if you ever gone to a rodeo they do their little grand entry so powwows borrowed that concept and it's a grand marching of all the dancers that are participating from young to old uh, often it starts with the elders the adults the teenagers the children and of course our babies uh, we say as soon as you're able to walk you can dance um it begins with the men leading in the women, and that is not to be misogynistic. Rather, it is the highest calling of a man, regardless of his age, to, to protect the women, to protect the children, to protect the elders. It, the roles of the men and women were very defined, and that is what the men's responsibility was, to be protectors and providers. So the reason why they go in first is not to display that they are better than the women, that they belong in the front. As historically, we are a matriarch society, meaning we hold our women in very high esteem. Women are the only ones that were gifted the power to literally guide a spirit from the spirit world, from heaven, however you want to address that, into this physical one, to literally give birth, to bring in new life. So women are held in very high esteem because of that. 
So the men put themselves in front of the women. They put themselves in front of the children and the elders. Because if danger ever approaches them, the man will be the first one to confront that danger. He is literally putting himself in front of the danger to protect his loved ones. So the men dance in first because of that. So the men dancing, followed by the women, etc., etc. Then we talked about the different dance styles. So last week we had a chance to talk about the different men's power dance styles. We began with the men's traditional style. These, these are our storytellers. These are our braves. These are our protectors. These are a representation of the men that left the home, the family, the community to go do the hunts, to go be protectors in case of danger, to go fight if you will and once they return from battle return from hunt they want to share the stories of what happened and they did this through dancing through movement being very theatrical in their movement so if you ever have a chance to watch them in traditional dance they're telling a story of them dancing and them going low to the ground and stalking out animals or they'll have a weapon in their hand and pretend to shoot a bow and arrow etc etc so that is what these men are doing. Next, we have our men's chicken dance style. This style originates within the Blackfoot Nation in southern Alberta, going into Montana, the Badlands area, where this dance teaches us to be thankful, to constantly give thanks to Mother Earth for all that she provides us, be it the animals, be it nature, be it the grasses and the medicines from the herbs for all that she provides us. We think of the animals, the sacrifices they make. They literally sacrifice their lives to provide us with the food. We look at the trees, the medicines that come from the plants, etc., etc. To be thankful for all that Mother Earth gives us so that as humans, we can literally survive on this earth. So that's what the men's chicken dance is emphasizing. Next, we have the men's grass dance style. So you would recognize these dancers by their outfits they wear. They wear long, uh, how would I describe this? Long pieces of cloth, yarn, rags, ribbons, etc. It looks like long pieces hanging from their outfits. And this is to represent grass. There's various stories on where the men's grass dance originated from. Um, Some people say they are mimicking the dance style of a grass blowing in the wind as they move back and forth in their movements and are very limber and very calm and peaceful. And everything they do on one side, they mimic on the other side to create that balance. Some people say these were the scouts of the tribe. So the men, the the young men, the older men that would go out and kind of sneak around, spy around. They'd have to be very limber and hide in grasses and stock out information for their tribe as they didn't have phones to connect with one another or Google reports, etc. Things that we rely on today. They literally had to send people out to find information on where's a good place to set up camp? Where's a good herd to hunt? Is there enemies close by? These were the messengers. So it required them to be very very flexible and limber and to hide in grass next we had the men's fancy dance style this is the most uh, modern style of power dance it was an evolution of the men's traditional dance so where the men's traditional were the storytellers and they had strict rules of how they were to conduct themselves they were not to dance backwards they were not to dance full circle 
Um, remember, these are the braids, the protectors. And if you're in battle and you start walking backwards, dancing backwards, what are you showing your enemy? You're showing your enemy that you're scared, you're afraid. Vince fancy bustle dance kind of broke these rules and they're the first ones to incorporate really fancy footwork, start dancing to really, really fast songs. And it was born more out of a challenge to challenge each other to see who could dance the fastest, who could dance the craziest. Today we see the men's fancy dance incorporating many acrobatic movements such as the splits, flips, cartwheels, very fast spins, you name it, they're doing it. It's literally, if you blink, you're going to miss these dancers. It's a very high-paced, energetic dance. With that, we are going to go into the women's traditional dance after the break. Thank you for listening. Wolves don't live by the rules. Wolves don't live Today's topic is powwow. It's a continuation of last week's conversation where we had the opportunity to discuss the men's dance styles. And this week we're going to discuss the ladies' dance styles. So we are going to begin with the women's traditional dance style. So long time ago, historically, women never danced. Uh, there was already so much responsibility on women. And I feel women today can still ag- agree to this, that as women, there's so much is required of us. It's an ongoing go, 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 go from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And even as you're sleeping, you're still kind of worried about things. So 
there was an understanding that women already had so much on their plate, so they weren't required to dance. So when the men would come back from battle and wanted to share their stories through dancing, the men's traditional style, the women would kind of just sit around and watch. But the women felt it upon themselves to start standing on the outside of the circle and start dancing in time with the drum as the men danced in the middle. And they began dancing by simply bending their knees in time with the drum that would be playing. And they did this as a means as a way of supporting the men to su say thank you to them for their sacrifices, for the hard work they do to provide for the women, for the children and the elders. They did this to support their husbands, their fathers, their sons, their, bro their brothers, their uncles, etc., etc., etc. And this gave birth to what we know as the women's traditional dance style. So when these women danced, they danced in a stationary position just bending their knees in time at the drum, as I mentioned. They were they wear their dresses. Um, historically, clothing was made out of hides, as that was the materials that were accessible to them. Man-made materials were introduced during the fur trade. Um, once the Europeans came over and made contact, and we started trading, so these outfits were originally made out of hides. Um, they would, the women could adorn their outfits with natural materials again, such as quills and literally seeds that they would hollow out and sew onto their outfits. Um, as time progressed on and trade became more accessible, we see the introduction of beads. And women started to incorporate beads into their outfits as a way of adornment. So today we see the ladies' traditional style. They may be wearing the hide dresses, the buckskin dresses most likely. And they ha will have fully beaded tops. Uh, the dresses these women wear, we refer to them as T dresses, like the letter T, because the way these dresses are cut, take the shape of, is a, literally the letter T. Um, so with that, these women would also wear what is called a breastplate. So it's a long, how do I describe this? It's a long plate worn around the neck with bone beads, long skinny beads that are strung together and reach all the way to the ground. These breastplates are pretty heavy. The first time I wore a breastplate, <laughs> I kind of had to bend over. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much strain on my neck. So then you factor in the hot dresses made out of hide and then all the beads that they're fully beaded tops how much weight that is so these outfits are extremely heavy so yes this dance looks pretty simple it's just a bend of the knees but it requires so much muscle control it requires so much stamina so much upper body strength to hold yourself up eventually the women start merging themselves inside the circle with the men and they started to do a bend step bend step so they started dancing with the men very gracefully and as you watch these women dance, they emphasize their dance movements by keeping a straightforward back. So they, what they are demonstrating is that they're dancing with pride. As women, we say we carry our families with us when we dance. And the women want to demonstrate the love they have for their families, for their children, for their husbands, for their parents, etc., etc. By the way they hold themselves up and demonstrate that pride by keeping their heads up today 
Some women opt to wear the cloth dresses. These are a little bit lighter, um, but they still dance in the same way. The cloth dresses kind of came after depletion of the bison herd the, and being pushed into reserves where they weren't allowed to hunt anymore. So it's kind of a double whammy. They had no more access to animals to hunt and they weren't allowed to leave specific plots of land to go search out for animals. So it was kind of forced upon the people to switch from the natural materials to the man-made materials. And that's where we start seeing cloth outfits being introduced. So to honor the histories, again, women dancing the women's traditional style, it's really a personal choice if they want to wear the cloth or the buckskin fully beaded dresses. Uh, some people like to just start out with cloth dresses because it takes a long, 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 long period of time to make a fully beaded top. Uh, sometimes it can take up to a year. So that's a lot of time to be working on one piece of um, clothing. So that is the woman's traditional dance. And when they come in the powwow during the grand entry, you'll notice these dancers stand on the outside of the circle. Um, that is to honor the history of this dance of how they began dancing on the outside of the circle as the men danced within the circle. Next, we are going to talk about the ladies' jingle dress style. So if you happen to listen to my first radio broadcast, the whole episode was dedicated to the jingle dress. Uh, the jingle dress is something I hold very close and dear to my heart. It is actually the style that I dance. Uh, I can't explain it. It was just a feeling as a little girl that called out to me that this is where I needed to be. This is what I needed to be doing. And as I got older, I started to understand why. So the jingle dress actually originated in the Ojibwe and Anishinaabe territory out in Ontario. Some people say Minnesota. Um, you'll recognize the jingle dress by the sound it makes. So it's adorned with what we called cones. So they are metal tin can lids rolled up into the shape of an ice cream cone crimped onto the dress. And when the ladies dance in these dresses, it makes a peculiar sound that mimics the sound of rain falling. Um, with the jingle dress, its origin is of healing. It came to the people as a means of healing to help us feel better, to help us overcome, to help us cope and deal with the things that are beyond our control sometimes so as wanting to become a social worker it kind of made sense of why i wanted to become a jingle dress dancer at the same time it was a tool that i could use from my culture to help in my career goal of just helping people feel a little bit better if you will so there's two styles of the jingle dress there's an old style original style and a contemporary style the original style dancers, you'll notice, they kind of do a little hop, step, hop, step, hop, step. They're taught to keep their feet very close to the ground. They don't wear any feathers. Um, and their dresses are, by design, kept very simple. Uh, I kind of think about it as, I call it uh, nightgown material. I imagine my, old, my late grandma's nightgowns adorned with jingle dresses because there's taught to be very simplistic. Next we have the ladies contemporary style and that style 
actually utilizes footwork. It's an evolution of the style, if you will. So these ladies started to incorporate footwork from the ladies' fancy dance, which I'm going to talk about here in our next segment. These ladies carry eagle feather fans in their hand, and when they dance, three to four times throughout the song, they are going to lift their fans to the air during what is referred to as a downbeat. So as you listen to the song, you're going to hear a really loud, loud beat. That's signaling to the ladies' dancers to lift their fans to the air. And that's a symbolization of sharing positive healing energy with all of those around them. Uh, The eagle feathers are very sacred to us. They're something that we earn. They're not something we just get because we want. And we utilize the eagle feathers as a means of healing, of helping us overcome. So it complements the teachings of the jingle dress by carrying those eagle feathers. They may also wear eagle feathers in their hair be it the center feathers of an eagle tail or plumes of the eagle and that's to honor the flying creatures so then we wear the hide on the bottom of our moccasins to honor the ground creatures and there's many 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 stories i could go on about the jingle dress but like i said i already dedicated a whole episode to the jingle dress so if you have a chance check that one out And we are going to pick up with the ladies' fancy for our next segment. Stay tuned. The Indigenous Connection Show. Welcome back to the Indigenous Connections radio show with myself, Randy Lynn. Today's topic is powwows. And we've discussed the men's dance styles in last week's session. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, I... I highly recommend doing it if you like. No pressure. Uh, today we are da- discussing the ladies dance style. We've already discussed the ladies traditional and the ladies jingle dress dance. Now we are going to dan- discuss the ladies fancy dance style. So there's also a men's fancy dance style. And I feel to understand the history of the ladies fancy dance style, we need to kind of rewind and discuss the men's fancy once again. So I discussed this in last week's discussion, but it's important for you to understand how one influenced the other. All right. So the men's fancy dance was born out of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. If you're not familiar with what that is, that is, was, sorry, a traveling road show that incorporated a cowboys versus Indians play that traveled throughout communities in the United States kind of putting on entertainment shows in the earlier 20th century and this is nothing against men it's just simple psychology that I find when you put a group of men together they like to compete against one another right you put them together for so long they're like hey I bet you can't do this hey I bet you can't do that And that's what these men that were traveling from show to show were doing with their free time. So these indigenous dancers that were recruited to Buffalo Bill's Wild West show were displaying the men's traditional dance style. And the men's traditional dance style has many rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Portray yourself in in a very noble, brave way. So these men started to challenge each other to dance to faster songs, so faster drum beats. So as a dancer, we're taught to dance in time with the drum. So with the increase of the drum beat going faster, it meant that the movement, the feet had to go faster to stay in time. So it was a challenge of who could dance the fastest, who could stay in time with this faster drum beat. 
and that wasn't enough so the men started challenging each other to incorporate these cool movements that have never been done before by this time we had influence by different culture groups that have come settled within canada united states sharing their different dance styles so if you're familiar with uh, scottish dancing irish dance and even russian russian style dancing you'll notice that the movements the footwork are very similar to power dancers today because the men start to borrow those styles from the other culture groups, incorporate it into their own power dancing. And this gave birth to what we refer to as footwork. So these men's fancy were the first ones to do really cool fancy dance movements, start moving their feet in different ways. And then they started challenging each other to be very acrobatic, very energetic, if you will. Um, so now we see introduction of what, flips, kicks, spins, cartwheels etc etc it's really really crazy to watch so all right so now this men's fancy dance style has been introduced and it's being performed it's being shared throughout canada united states and here are the women dancing the ladies traditional style still so that meant they were still bending their knees and time with the jones staying in place and holding themselves in a very sophisticated posture while these men are out there having all this fun, dancing this cool new style and being challenging each other. And the women are like, hey, yo, we are just as good as those men. We can do that too. Why can't we do that? So a brave group of women actually start to wear the men's fancy dance style outfits. And you've got to keep in mind that the earlier 20th century when these styles came to be, as a society, as indigenous people, we were introduced to the patriarchy that kind of went against our beliefs, our understandings traditionally through the residential school. As the children that were sent there were taught that men belong at top and women belong at the bottom. When our cultural teachings emphasize the exact opposite, that women are to be placed in a high position and men are to protect those women. So these women went out wearing pants and wearing men's outfits and the reaction they got from the audience was not a good one it was like a what the heck are you women doing that is not how women are supposed to behave women are supposed to wear dresses they're supposed to act in a certain way they are supposed to know their place and for these women to go out there and start kicking their legs up which was never seen before in power dancing was kind of like a whoa Women do not do do that. That is a no-no, a big no-no. So people actually start to throw rocks at them. And think of any woman in your life, any woman. And if you're a woman, think of yourself. If someone told you, no, you are not allowed to do that because you are a woman, would you just take that as face value and sit down and be like, okay, I won't do that no more. Um, not really, hey? As women, we... We welcome the challenge. We welcome to show the, how resilient we are. So regardless of the oppression they were met by their own peers, these women continue to dance this style as a statement that women are as equal to men, as in the teachings that women are will not allow themselves to be oppressed by their peers by influence such as that. So fast forward a little bit. It was obvious that the women were going nowhere, that they were going to continue to dance this very contemporary style, just as the men have. And 
is kind of a defeat, if you will. If you can't beat them, you might as well join them. So because these women stood their ground, they were eventually welcomed into the power dance circle. And these women made it okay for all women to start lifting their feet up as they danced, to start being very energetic as they dance, to display their own style of dance, but still paying homage to the fact that they are women. And by doing this, they decided to stop wearing the men's outfits and start wearing the ladies' outfits, as there's tr teachings embedded in why women wear dresses and skirts. And I think that'll be a topic for another show. But they honored their womanhood by switching from the men's outfits and starting to wear their tea dresses that they wore as ladies' traditional dancers. And they started to incorporate this really neat, neat footwork. Um, so today, if you get the chance to go s to a powwow and you hear the ladies' fancy dance style, you'll most often see the women adorning themselves with what we refer to as a shawl. So a blanket that they drape across their shoulders and incorporate into their dance. So the shawl actually came at a later time. So the women began dancing by holding a scarf in their hand, a braid of sweet grass, maybe an eagle feather, a fan. Or they would just simply put their hands to the side as they dance and kind of kept them low. Um, next, we see the shawl being introduced. And there's different stories of where I heard this the shawl came from. I'm just going to share my favorite with you. And that is, as women got access to more beautiful materials through trade with their European brothers and sisters through fur trades and etc. They started adorning them with embroidery and different mediums of art that were introduced by different culture groups that had settled near their areas. And they started decorating these blankets, these shawls. And they started wearing these shawls originally folded up around their arms and kind of kept them hidden. But they wanted to display their beautiful artwork, the hard work they put into adorning these shawls, these blankets. And they did this by draping them across their shoulders and incorporating them right into their dance. Today, we see these ladies holding their arms out with their shawls, with their blankets in hand and incorporating it into a beautiful dance. And many people uh, compare this to the dance of a butterfly. And the butterfly itself actually holds very distinct meaning in the Sioux cultures, in the Sioux tribes, the Lakotas, the Dakotas, Nakotas. And with that history, the way I look at the ladies' fancy dance, I look at it as a ladies' movement dance, as a dance perseverance. Uh, I highly respect these women and the dance that they do, as it's a symbolism of us moving forward and regaining our proper roles as women in society and the fact that we are very resilient we are very strong and we are very adaptable to the situations that are placed in front of us so with that we will take a quick break and we are going to talk a bit about the tiny tots our two-spirited community and we cannot forget the drama so stay tuned so am i dreaming or is this just how we're living now? Refuse to wake us I have never been this close. You always think I'm leaving before I've had the chance to stay. 
Darling, it'll be okay If you look me in the eyes If you look me in the eyes I sing now Don't be afraid of the fire, babe I'd never let you burn All these bridges we cross All that water underneath When the ashes of lost love Make it hard to breathe My love, if we burn Would you burn right next to me? So much revealed where You take the time to know me for who I am God, just who I am Don't be afraid of the fire, babe I'd never let you burn And all these bridges we cross All that water underneath Ashes of lost love Make it hard to breathe My love if we burn Welcome back to the Indigenous Connection show with myself, Randy Lynch. Today's topic is the powwow celebration. So last week we discussed the men's styles and the beginning of the powwow. Um, So far we've discussed different lady styles of dance. And now I want to talk about the tiny tots. So the tiny tots are actually our little ones, usually age five and under. Um, we say that as soon as a child can walk, they're ready to dance. In First Nations culture, and I think this is an ideology shared by many different cultural groups, is that children, our babies, are our future. They are our most valuable resource. If we want our cultures, our languages, our beliefs, our religions, our spirituality, anything we hold of importance to be passed on through the generations, then there's a responsibility on each and every one of us to learn as much as we can about what we would like to teach our children in hopes that when they become older, they become parents themselves, they become caregivers and are responsible for the next generation of children, that they pass on these teachings to them. And I know I talked about this a little bit earlier, the residential school and the damages that's caused, but it's something that I'm always going to bring up because it played such a vital role into our people. So that is why we take our children as early as we can to celebrations such as a powwow to ceremonies to expose them to their kinship their family their language in hopes that it is something that they will carry with them for the rest of their lives and want to share with the next generation so with the tiny tots they can be any style of dancer it's really up to the parents but it's just a moment to get the children out there, get them dancing, get them comfortable with being out there and displaying their culture to install that sense of pride and belonging in them from the time they're tiny, tiny, tiny. And once these children are done dancing, they're often gifted a small monetary gift or a treat bag, etc., etc., to show thanks to the children for sharing their beautiful gift with all of us to remind us of how our own innocence and how pure we all began. 
remind us of what matters to see these children out there acting so innocent and just finding simple pleasure in the fact that they get to move around to dance around is a very humbling experience as adults we kind of get caught up in the day-to-day stresses of life and i want to share a personal story with you so i'm actually the first person in my family to dance powwow um my mother all my aunties and uncles my grandma they're all residential school survivors so They had to really fight to regain their culture, to regain their language. Um, As it was also a struggle for me to learn these things too. But it was so important to me to become a dancer. Like I said, it was just a feeling that I knew I needed to be out there. And if you ever go to Powell's, they're often big family events. So usually families entire families generations of families usually dance together so it was kind of an alienating feeling when i first started dancing knowing that i'm the only one in my family out there dancing uh but when i became an auntie i looked at it as an opportunity to understand that no i may not come from a big power family but this is my opportunity to start one so i've really put that responsibility on myself to create outfits regalia for my younger nieces and nephews to give them that opportunity because it's so important for me to introduce them to these things as little as young as they are so that when they go out there, they don't feel alienated like I did. They don't question if they belong. They know they've been doing this from the time they were little. And they will always carry that feeling of belonging and um, nostalgia with them as they get older. And that's what I really, really hope. That's why I do what I do for them. As many hours as it takes to make them outfits. I know it's going to be worth it in the long run as a means of cultural perseverance preservation and i think this is a good moment to kind of segue into our next week's topic about tp pole teachings and the tp pole number 12 used utilized in the cree plain style tp represents good child rearing meaning emphasizing our responsibility to our young ones to teach them as much as we can about their cultural identity their spirituality and their language because we already see that it's evident in today's society that our indigenous languages are very scarce and that there is the reality that they may die out on us. So it's our responsibility to learn them so that we can pass them on so this doesn't happen. So our tiny thoughts, our future, our most valuable resource. Next, I'd like to talk a bit about the two-spirited community. So two-spirited is a contemporary term. Um, It has variations on meanings but the general meaning that i get from the understanding is that the two-spirited community is identified can be identified with the lgbtq2 community Um, and what it means to me is that it's a description of one individual embodying the spirits of both the male and female energies also identify with the lgbtq2 community um that's not to say two spirit, all two-spirited are LGBTQ2+, but for a majority of them, they are. Because of the gift of embodying both male and female energies within one body, historically and even contemporary, our two-spirited people are held in very high esteem. They're recognized as um, holy people, um, being godlike, if you will. So two-spirited people um, 
are a good example of conflicting ideologies between Western world and First Nations teachings. So traditionally in First Nations culture, the basis of sex, of who you were attracted to, wasn't really an issue for anyone. Uh, who you chose to be involved with was your business. Unlike the Western world, where we kind of make it everyone's business. I guess we're a little nosy like that. Um, but rather, you were treated either male or female by the roles that you chose to play in society rather than who you were attracted to. So what this meant was that the males... Their jobs were to do the hunting, to go provide, to go fight battles. And the women's responsibility was to stay closer home, to take care of the children, take care of the food and the teepee, etc., etc., that kind of stuff. Where if you were physically born a male, but you felt your calling was to be with the women and help with the chores and taking care of the children and all of that fun stuff, then society would treat you as a woman. And there was no disrespect. There was no um, shaming because of it. And vice versa. If you were physically born a woman, but you felt your calling was out with the men, fighting the battles and providing, doing the hunting, then society would treat you as a male. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> um, so today, honoring our two-spirited people, there are no limits to... If you can dance the male or the female style. Um, in contemporary power world, uh, we honor our two-spirited people by allowing each gender, the male, the female, to choose what style of dance they'd like to dance. Yes, we organize them in men's categories and women's categories, but we allow our women to dance the men's categories and the men to dance the women's categories if they choose to identify as so. Uh, what this means is that this is just an accepted practice in the power world. Um, but what the important thing here is that whatever style a person decides to dance, is that they show the respect that is required of them to dance that style, to treat their outfit with respect, to carry themselves in a good way when they have their outfits on, and to dance for the healing of themselves and the people that they care about. That's pretty much the general rule. So our two-spirited community is welcomed at the powwows. And today we actually see um, many different LGBTQ2 communities hosting their own two-spirited powwows as a way of welcoming two-spirited people to make them feel welcome, to make them feel accepted, and to share those original teachings that they are sacred people and to kind of install a sense of pride in their identities. So with that, we are going to take a quick break and we will get back with our last topic, the drum, the music. Can't power without the music. The Indigenous Connection Show. We are talking power today and we have reached our last topic, the drum. So like I said, we wouldn't be able to dance without it. So the drum is such a neat tool. It's actually a instrument not only utilized by indigenous people here in North America, but indigenous tribes all over the world. There's so many teachings behind the drum. We actually refer to the drum as the heartbeat of Mother Earth. And why is this? Because we say the drum mimics the heartbeat of our own mothers. Something we all have in common is that we have the same first home, 
and that's within the womb. And the time we spent in the womb, we consistently heard the pitter-patter of our mother's heartbeats. Um, the time we spend in the womb, we consider it a very sacred and special time in each and every one of our lives. Regardless of the relationship with you have, you may have with your mother now, the time we spent in the womb was a safe time. It was a time that we felt protected, we felt connected, and literally the only emotion we understood was love. Like how beautiful is that to only understand love, to only feel love? That's why I say it's a very special time in each and every one of our lives. So do you remember being in the womb? I don't. But subconsciously, we still carry those memories of being in the womb with us deep down in our brains. Um, so there are different things that trigger those memories of being in the womb. One thing is swaddling. Even as a grown-up, I like to swaddle myself, make myself into a human burrito because it's comforting, because it triggers that inner child in me, that memory of being in the womb, of being really tight, and really close to my mother so it's a comfort to me and i know it's a comfort to many people especially our newborns we swaddle them to remind them of being in the womb because they're still so fresh to this world another the drum the drum literally like i said mimics the pitter patter of our mother's heartbeat so regardless if we listen to powwow music or drum music ever i've always seen the same reaction from people they always start to kind of tap their toes and move their heads up and down. And I see them moving in their bodies as they listen to the drum. And it's because the drum is triggering those memories. It's triggering that happiness, that love they felt being in the womb. And they feel so good on the inside that it's projecting on the outside to literally to the point where they feel so good that their bodies want to move, that they want to dance, that they want to express that joy physically. So because of that, we say the drum possesses healing powers. So the drum is very, very important tool. It's very sacred to us. Uh, like I said, it's a healing tool and it helps us dance. Um, so there are two types of songs that can be sung at a powwow. Um, so there is the original style singers and then there's contemporary singers. So usually powwows will divide the two. Um, so when I say original style singing, I mean those are the singers that don't utilize any types of words in any type of language. Rather, they use the the sounds, the rhythms. They make that heya, 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 yo, like just sounds that they make with their mouths that really has no meaning. And the purpose behind this was when we think of the history of Plains people, they were a nomadic people, meaning they were constantly get up, moving, following the herds of bison around their main resource. And that often meant that different tribes of different langu language groups would collide. And yes, they battled with one another, but there was also a peace and a relationship building too. And one way people could build relationship was through ceremony, through song and dance. So by keeping songs without words meant that anyone of any language group could participate regardless. And this was a relationship building activity. So... Those are the original style singers. Then we have our contemporary singers who do incorporate language, be it an indigenous language or English. So today in our modern world, we hear songs of indigenous languages such as Cree, Blackfoot, Lakota, etc., Ojibwe. We hear songs utilizing those different languages, but we also hear songs with English because, like I said, 
Unfortunately, many of our people have lost that language, but we are working hard to regain it. I've heard many testimonials of, from different people that by singing, by becoming a powwow singer, by singing these songs, they are actually learning their language again, their indigenous languages. So that's what I mean. There's hope we're regaining it. So there are some protocols in regards to the drum. Um, spectators are welcome to stand around the drum as the singers sing, but you're asked not to get too close to the singers as it requires a lot of air. We don't want to suffocate them. And just out of respect for the spirit inside of that drum, um, depending on what area you are in, some tribes, some groups request that women do not sit at the drum for various reasons. Um, that only men sit at the drum. I know for Cree people, when the drum was given to the people, again, that responsibility of the women was so heavy that the men decided to take the responsibility on themselves to carry the drum. But the prophecy also states that one day the woman will regain the drum. And I feel that time is now. Um, out of respect for the culture, the teachings of the different tribes, I myself do not sit at the drum. I do not try to put myself in that position. But that doesn't mean that I don't carry my own drum for spiritual purposes, for to help me pray, to help me connect to my spirituality. Um, not just a personal teaching for myself. However, if you go to different territories, uh, I was actually powwowing in British Columbia in 2019 in that summer, and there was an all-woman's drum group. So it really depends on the teachings of the tribes that are hosting the powwow in that area. Um, but just a general rule of thumb is just being a spectator. Just don't get too close to the drum. You're welcome to spectate as and don't sit at the drum unless invited by the drum group to do so because we want to respect and honor the drum carriers. So with that, I think that's about all the time we have. I hope this conversation kind of filled in some gaps for you or maybe made you excited to attend the powwow whenever we're able to powwow again in a post-COVID world, hopefully sooner than later. All right, in closing, I just want to thank you for joining me once again for the Indigenous Connections radio show with myself, Randy Lynn. Uh, I, like I said, I hope this was somewhat informative and kind of helped you understand the powwow a little better, maybe uh, relieve some anxieties you had about attending a powwow in the future. And who knows, maybe this will be your gateway to becoming a powwow dancer yourself. Anywho, I just want to say thank you and I would li like to invite you back next week for our next topic, which will be teepee pole teachings. Uh, I will be sharing the teachings of Elder Mary Lee from Saskatchewan on the Cree style of teepee. We will discuss the history of the teepee um, from different tribal understandings. And then we will discuss in detail each pole that's utilized to build the teepee uh, represents a value, a teaching. So we will go in depth in those teachings and I feel these teachings aren't just specified to indigenous people, but these are values, these are morals that can be utilized for all people of all walks of life to help us remind us of what is important, of how to look at the world in a good way. So please, please, please join me back next week for that. And thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you have a great rest of the week.
Take care, everyone. And that's the Indigenous Connection show for Andy Lynn. I'd like to give credit to A Tribe Called Red for their track sisters that we used in our intro. Oh,